Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. Some of you uh, will recall from a couple of weeks ago I was here, and uh, and you're going to learn pretty quickly that I'm probably going to be here for a little while, stepping into an interim role here uh, to kind of just bring some teaching on Sunday mornings uh, while you're in the midst of a major transition, right? And, and you've known that. You've been in a transition for uh, uh, several months now as you're in search process for uh, who will be the next uh, permanent pastor here at uh, Stapleton Fellowship Church. So I've been asked to step in and kind of just bring some consistency on a Sunday morning. So when you show up, you go, oh, I recognize him. And, and uh, we kind of know what's going on. And we work through this together. And I've, I've carried uh, interim roles several times in my career as a pastor for over 20 years in local churches. And then uh, kind of, and my wife says I, I escaped from uh, church ministry um, and worked in the broader nonprofit uh, world for the last 10 years, uh, but I've also taken the opportunity to still stay connected with the local church um, in interim capacities. And I love interim work. Now, one, because I get to say the hard things and then leave, you know, after maybe nine months, the year, however long it takes for this process to take place. But the really fun part is that I get to journey with you through a transition time. And a lot of people are afraid of change, They say, I'm nervous for what the future may hold. But I would present to you that change really isn't that hard. All of us want to get to the next thing. What's really hard is the transition. Uh, In fact, I've done a lot of teaching on on how do you properly manage transitions and manage change. And transitions will kill you. They're, They're full of all kinds of landmines, things that can get in the way and say, oh, I didn't expect that, or this is hard. But transitions are also full of incredible opportunity for innovation, to really think about who we are as a local community. Who are we and what are we striving for? So my goal during these next months, as this process takes place of identifying your next pastor, is that I'll be here to kind of teach and and lead along lines from Sunday morning in our teaching ministry uh, to help ask good questions, to help us uh, move as a church so that whenever the new pastor comes, you guys are prepared for what's next. In a sense, we're, we're tilling the soil. We're really making sure things are in a great place for whoever that next person is that comes on board. So, so transition times, interim times are really fun. Now, one of the things that's a challenge to being an interim pastor, an interim teacher, is that you're going to get to know me really well because I'm really transparent in how I teach. And you're going to get to know my family, even though who knows how often any of them might be here. My kids are both grown uh, my wife uh, attends our own church, and she also cares for her mother, who has Alzheimer's. Uh, but you're going to learn a lot about me, and it'll be hard for me to get to know you individually, but we're going to get to know each other as a group, and I'm going to learn about you through this process. One of the things you will learn about me, and I'm going to reveal it all today, is that I love coffee. Yeah. Now, now I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, I'm an absolute grump in the morning until I have my caffeine. I like caffeine. I like that that trigger. I like that stimulant, right? But it's not like I wake up and go, I can't function unless I have my caffeine. I don't see coffee as just a transport device for caffeine. No, I like coffee. I like the process of making coffee. I like making sure that I decide each morning, what kind of coffee do I want? What way do I want to make it? Because every type of coffee, whether it's French press or a a brew or an espresso or a pour over or a cold brew, however those work out, they all take a different water temperature, a different grind and a different length of time. Um, But the goal is this great cup of coffee. And if I go back farther and look at, you know, coffee beans growing, who first discovered that you could pick this bean and take off this husk and dry it in various ways and then roast it and then grind it and then it becomes this wonderful beverage. Who who figured that out? 
But there are great ways to make coffee and not so good ways to make coffee. And, and I just love coffee. I love sitting at my table, reading a book and sipping a cup of coffee. I like going to a really good coffee shop and getting an espresso or a or cortado or a, or a cappuccino or a latte. And if it's done really well, you just savor it, right? It's, it's the smell. It's a whole experience of sipping and tasting and smelling and holding. It's awesome. You know what absolutely ruins that experience? A sippy cup. Because <laughs> that's what this is, Right? It's a sippy cup. Oh, I want to smell the coffee. <laughs> Not going to happen with a sippy cup lid. It's a sippy cup. This is, this is something that controls what I get and, and makes it different than what it's supposed to be. What's interesting is Starbucks, when they started out several decades ago, they just talked about, we don't sell coffee. We sell a coffee experience. Yeah, not so much anymore. No, it's a drive-thru where, where the person hands you your sippy cup. Because you're driving just to get caffeine, not to experience the coffee, right? It's a, it's a sippy cup, and it's, it goes so far, it's just like a parent giving a baby a sippy cup. Be careful. Be careful. The beverage you're about to enjoy is really hot. They're giving you instructions because it's a sippy cup. Now, think about sippy cups. That, that little device that you give babies, maybe eight months old, six months old, a year old. I mean, our kids had some. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and textures. And the goal is to stop parents from having to clean up messes. Really, right? I don't want a mess. You know, there, there's some developmental factor moving from a bottle to a sippy cup. But really, it's about we don't like messes. And so sippy cups are this amazing invention. I mean, you, some of them have these spring-loaded things. They're impossible to spill. You could throw it across the room, and it's not going to spill, right? And, and so sippy cups have some benefits, but really the, the basis of a sippy cup is that we're afraid of making a mess. And we use sippy cups because we don't have the necessary skills for a real cup yet, Right? But when we give it to the baby, we say, you're a big boy. No, really not so big. No, you're just one step removed from a bottle. Right? But it's a sippy cup, and we don't need to get a mess. A sippy cup is risk-free. That can bop around and roll and fall over, and it's not going to spill. There's no risk involved in a sippy cup. It's usually provided by someone else. We fill it up for the child and give it to them, or the lady or the man in the drive-thru at Starbucks hands it to us to give us our sippy cup. It limits how much I get at a time. Just, just a sip. It's a sippy cup. I can't really knock it over, which for some of us, that's a really good thing. I am notorious. It's a family genetic trait to spill glasses at the table. I mean, I once in college was having dinner at the, uh, at the office of the president of the university I was attending. He invited some people. And when he came in the room to introduce myself, I, went, I stood up and bam, knocked the water all over him. And to shake his hand, I just will spill things. That's just what it is, and a sippy cup kind of prevents that. You can't really knock it over and spill it. A sippy cup, if it's only a sip, and if this is all you ever knew from coffee was drinking one of these, it's like, oh, the lid comes off? You don't know there's something deeper there. It's just a sip. You mean there's more? A sippy cup I can take or leave. It tides me over for a while. You can throw, us off, throw it across the room, it won't break. Not, not this, but it won't tip over in your cup holder and slosh out when you're driving. But ultimately, a sippy cup does not satisfy. It's just a sip. 
We can't live on just a sip. You see, in reality, it's okay to make a mess. In fact, in some ways, we'll never really learn how to do things unless we do make a mess. You know, you're, one of the things you'll learn about me is I'm, I'm kind of cynical about things. And I remember a seminary professor said, there's a fine line between sin and cynicism. And I step right up to that line. <laughs> so, so I'm the dad who didn't let his kids have training wheels. Because that's a false sense of accomplishment. A sippy cup is a false sense of accomplishment. Look, you're drinking out of a big boy cup. No, you're sipping out of a little bottle-like thing. I'm riding a bike. No, there are two extra wheels in the back. Or bumper bowling. You seen that? The little things that so the ball can't go in the gutter? That's a false sense of accomplishment. We, we went for my, my son's birthday, took him and a, and a friend bowling. And uh, my son's name was Ryan, and he had a friend named Ryan. And we went, I love bowling. And, and Ryan, his friend, had never bowled without bumpers. And we said, well, Ryan, we don't use bumpers in our family. You're going to learn to bowl. Well, I know how to bowl. Well, the first two games, everything was a gutter ball. With Ryan, it just could not find its way to the pins at all. Boom, boom, and he was just frustrated, frustrated. It'll all get out. So finally, he said, "Okay, the last game we'll put up the bumpers." His first ball in the last game, it went bonk, 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 strike. And he said, "See, I told you I could bowl." No, 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 no. That's a false sense of accomplishment. Sippy cup really isn't grown up. It's a sip. And sippy cups are only supposed to be a temporary transition. Right? In fact, some dentists say there could be long-term physical issues if you keep using sippy cup too long. It's a transition from one thing to another. I would propose that oftentimes we kind of approach life and our life in Christ with a sippy cup spirituality mindset. Where we generally see our life as pretty okay, But if we can just get a little nugget of wisdom, if we can just have a little dip into devotional reading, if we can get a little taste of some upbeat worship music once in a while, if we we listen to the Christian radio station, if we get a little bit here, a little bit there, it's going to enhance my life, and it's, it's pretty good. And I just need that to kind of give me a little boost during my day. It's just a sip. I think that's completely counter to the life that Christ has called us to live. In fact, if we look at the book of Isaiah, we get a completely different view. Something that isn't just bop in and bop out spirituality, but this invitation to a sumptuous feast. Now, we have to have a little bit of background about the book of Isaiah before we get into our passage today. Isaiah is a fascinating book, uh, this glorious prophet that covers this incredible time in the the history of, of Israel the history of God's chosen people. And you can almost break Isaiah into two chunks. The first is this really this statement of judgment on God, from God on his people. Uh, they, had, they kept turning away from what he called them to be. He had, he had called up this people, raised up this chosen people, promised them through King David what they would be, this blessing to the world, promised to Abraham that through him all nations would come through that nation that was going to be formed, his promised people, but they were to follow him closely and obey him and, and live wisely and walk closely with God. That was the, the call he gave to them, and they kept falling short. And, and the history of Israel is one of obedience and, and living great and living in blessing and then disobedience and falling away and oftentimes living in persecution, living in captivity. And it's this up-and-down notion 
And the first part of Isaiah is just talking about that. Isaiah, the prophet of God, just, just talking to the people and saying, this is what has gone on in life because you haven't followed closely to God. And then the second half of the book is this glorious statement of God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. That even though they fell short in this covenant relationship, he wasn't going to and he was going to create something new. And so if we were to go just back a little bit from our passage today uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 53, which is this incredible passage about the suffering servant, the Messiah, it, it's, it's talking about Jesus who is to come. And it's a passage that we read a lot around Easter time, leading up to Easter, that final week of the Passion of Good Friday, where it talks about the Savior, the Messiah, and it talks about of being a person of shame, a person... Uh, one from whom we hid our faces. We regard him not. On, on him, all of our iniquities were cast. And it paints this picture. And Isaiah is telling the people that all of that has gone on, all of the falling short that has happened, God is going to fix that. And the way he's going to do it is through this suffering servant, this messenger, this Messiah. We know his name is Jesus. And then chapter 54 talks about this forgiveness that is available and this restoration of the nation. And then we get to chapter 55, which has this amazing statement that this is for everyone. And Isaiah is inviting us not to a sip of who God is, but to a feast. Inviting us to a meal, not to have a sip, but to linger and to talk and to engage in something. And so we look at this invitation that God gives to all of us to engage in life fully. And it's only possible because of what this suffering servant, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, did. Let's read this passage. It's Isaiah 55. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations that you know not, and nations that that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. 
This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. If we were to go in here and, and circle all the imperatives, all the commands in this passage, there's something like 13 of them in the first few verses. Commands to people, words like come, buy, eat, listen, hear me, seek the Lord, forsake, return to. These are all commands that Isaiah is giving. In other words, he's saying at the very beginning of this passage, the table has been set. God is trying to make everything right to bring you back, to restore you back to the relationship to what he has called you to be. Everything has been done to set that table and make it good. So come. Come. Respond. He set the table. We have to pull up a chair. This is the table. This isn't a sip. It's not somebody handing you a sippy cup through a window. It says, see what I've prepared. See what I've done. Now come. He says, come, and he says, buy, or, or even we could use the word buy into. It's another way of understanding. In other words, commit. Take the step. Take the leap. Take the plunge. Come to the table. What a waste it would be if there's this glorious feast set and nobody shows up. Similar to a parable that Luke tells that Jesus taught. It says, eat, partake, experience, taste, savor the goodness of who God is. The other thing you'll get to know about me through my teaching is that I love to eat. I love coffee. I love to eat. And I love to cook. That was my early career aspirations was to be a chef. I started cooking from the time I was four years old. My mom just let me loose in the kitchen. I was cooking full meals for our family by the time I was nine. I was catering events with my own little business in high school. I love to cook. I have my own little cookbook I do. People, people's moms used to call me and say, hey, Dale. This is John's mom. Oh, yeah. Hey, I was thinking about cooking this. What do you think? Oh, that'd be great. So give her some advice on how to cook or all my friends. So it's something I just love to cook. I love it not just because I like food, but I like eating food with people. Because one of the great pictures of heaven is the banquet table. One of the great pictures of how God wants to relate with people, and it happens over and over and over again, is eating together. Because amazing things happen when we eat together. Think about it. Some of the, the greatest conversations maybe you've ever had have been around a table where someone has lovingly prepared something and they pour it out before you and say, let's eat this together. I used to lead a small group at the last church I pastored, and it was a cooking class. They used to come to my house. We'd have about six or seven people. They'd each give, depending on what we were going to make that week, 5 to $10 that I would collect ahead of time. I'd buy all the ingredients, and we'd learn how to cook things together, and then we'd eat it. And those were some of the most amazing times the most amazing conversations because good things happen around a table. In fact, we've, I've done a sermon series before on the eating habits of Jesus. All the meals that are talked about in the New Testament, in the Gospels, about Jesus eating with people and what happens then. It was important to Jesus. It's important to God. It's a picture that he gives of goodness. It's feasting on who God is and, and he gives the picture of an actual meal. Come off, we're thirsty. And if you don't have money, come by and eat. You can, you can still get it. If you don't have it, you still get it because you've come to the table. You've come to the feast. Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight. Hear me and your soul will live. Listen, pay attention, discriminate, be attuned to the voice of God. Pay attention. 
hear me. Cast out all the noise and the distractions and listen to what God is saying. Seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, single purposely, single mindedly, look for God at work. Forsake evil and pursue what is good. Jesus says, or Isaiah is saying, you need to turn from one thing and turn to something else, which is the definition of what repentance is. It's turning from something and turning to something else. And re- return to, let go of those things that hinder. This is all what's taking place in this simple short book in Isaiah. This glorious picture. Now, if we were somebody hearing Isaiah speak this way for the first time, and he, he just talked about this suffering servant, that the way God is going to change things, that the way he's going to bring about and, and fulfill this new covenant, the way he's going to do this is by a man who we know is Jesus, fully God and fully man. But he's going to do that through this guy who suffers and dies and who people do not esteem. People turn their face from him. He's going to do that? That does not make any sense. You're going to restore what we are supposed to be, but you're going to do it in a way that uses death and uses suffering. And we still wrestle with that today. It's one of the stumbling blocks to people coming to know who Jesus is. That doesn't make any sense. How does dying lead to life? How does what seems like a loss mean winning? It doesn't make any sense. And I think in the middle of all that, because it seems so counterintuitive, Isaiah makes this great statement where where he says, For my ways are not your, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, this is the way I'm going to do this. This is the only way this can happen. And you don't understand it because my ways are so completely different, but I want you to start to grasp my ways. But first you have to come to the table. You're not going to get it just by a sip, by singing a nice song that makes you feel good, by listening to a prosperity sermon that says you can have anything you want because God wants you to be wealthy. You're not going to get it that way because that just tickles our ears. That's just a sip of something that makes us feel good. Jesus says, come to this table. Dine with me, linger with me. Don't just bop in and bop out, but savor the coffee, savor the food. Come buy into it, commit, pull up a chair and let's talk. Let's have a relationship. This is an introduction, an invitation to relational time with Jesus. Relationship with the God of the universe who knows us by name. Dig into it and learn and savor it. But, but it's counterintuitive. Because we live in a world that says, blessed are the rich. But this ways and thoughts that are not ours says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The world around us says, blessed are the successful. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The, The intuitive way says, blessed are the leaders. But God's ways that are higher than our ways says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The the normal way says, blessed are the talented. But God's ways that are higher than our ways say that 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the way that makes sense says, blessed are the self-assured. And God's ways, which are higher than our ways, says, blessed are the merciful. The intuitive way says, blessed are the satisfied. And God's ways, which are higher than our ways, says, blessed are the desperate. This is a table that has been set for people who are desperate, not satisfied. People come, buy, buy into it, pull up a chair, commit, listen, hear, be in a relationship. Take these actions to respond to who God is in all of his mercy and all of his goodness. I'm fascinated by the first paragraph of this where it talks about come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You have no money, come buy and eat. Why would you spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Imagine that as a banner hanging out of a mall. Don't spend your money on things that don't satisfy. But buy the coolest new phone. It doesn't really satisfy. But I sure have it a lot. I sure look at it a lot. I think the reality is that, that, that Isaiah wants us to move from appearance to reality. Because we, we buy all these things. We spend all our time. We spend all our labor. We tend all our focus on things that truly don't satisfy. But we've convinced ourselves that they do. And learning to live in that new way, that counterintuitive way, where God's ways are higher than our ways and they don't make sense. Isaiah is saying, I invite you to learn that they do make sense. That this truly is the way to live. So it's moving from appearance to reality. And so I think that's things like moving from being hidden to being known. We live in a world that likes to stay hidden. We reveal this much about ourselves. Because we don't want to truly be known. And, and this says be known. We're known when we have this fellowship around a table. When we're invited to the table that God has set. And we participate we make ourselves known. Moving from appearance to reality means we live in ways that, let's say, um, instead of the apology that says, I'm sorry you took it that way, the non-apology apology, to I was wrong, will you forgive me? But if I live that way, people are going to walk all over me. I can't admit I was wrong. I can say, well, I wasn't wrong. I was doing what I truly believe in. You just understood it wrong. And I didn't mean that. Moving from appearance to reality, we appear to be people who are confessional, but we're really not. We move from seeing church as a product to be consumed to church as the holy people of God who live as the body of Christ who live for and with each other in the name of Jesus. Seeing church as a product to be consumed is a sippy cup. Pop in, pop out, get the thing I want. Feels good, I'm gone. It's also moving from the appearance of what I'll just call spiritual activities to living in the fruit of the Spirit. 
This invitation that Isaiah gives to us to come to the table is one of all of life being radically transformed by Jesus Christ. It isn't a call to do more church spiritual activities. It isn't saying you read the Bible this much, you should read it this much. Therefore, I now check the box and say I'm a growing mature believer. It isn't saying I come to church once a month, now I'm going to go twice a month. That's a spiritual activity that's not living by the Spirit. I think those things often happen well when we come together because we learn from each other, we grow from each other, we're called to be together. We're called to encourage one another and care for one another and feed one another and pray for one another. You can't do that by yourself. But we don't get to this place Isaiah is inviting us to by saying, I'm going to do more activities. No, we need to be people that are radically transformed by the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is not more activities. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, which is counterintuitive to being successful. We also move from the appearance of life pretending to the reality of being messy. And I, I hate to say it, but for the most part in our churches, in our evangelical churches, we are really good at pretending. We're good at giving the right answers. We're good at cliches. We're good. So how's your life going? Well, it's going okay. You know, hey, how's, how's your time in the word? It's pretty good. I'm going to try to get up earlier this week and but I'm doing all right, getting better. I can pray more. I can witness more. But, but, but that's how we tend to define things. And, and so we can say an answer, kind of like our asking for forgiveness when we really didn't admit anything, the fake apology apology. We do the same thing about everything in our life following Christ. And as a church, as a people, as a family, we don't truly want to let people in and say, this is messy. And following Christ can be hard. Because we've been taught too often by self-help books in the Christian world that life is easy if we follow Jesus. He will fix all our problems. I'm not here to tell you that is not the way it works. In fact, following Christ, that day you say yes to Jesus introduces tension into your life that you wouldn't have if you didn't know Jesus. It's messy. It doesn't take away the problems. It adds new dimensions to things to ponder and wrestle through. How do I show up in a workplace differently when I know Jesus? Those things I could get away with maybe ethically before, now I go, hey, that's probably not the way to go. But it was easy to do it that way, but now I'm faced with this dilemma. How do I show up in relationships? How do I show up in life is actually messier? Because our purpose and our goal is growth. Our purpose and our goal is relationship with each other. Our purpose and our goal in following Christ is that the world will know. And Isaiah says the covenant that's new in this is beyond what was promised to David. It's now something that all the nations will be drawn to you. People will see who Jesus is, and we know that doesn't always play out well in an individual life where there can be persecution and challenge. Maybe we're made fun of. But Jesus says, Isaiah says, my ways, God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's really saying, trust me. Can you trust that what God says is true? And Isaiah makes it very clear we can. He says his word, what God says, will not come back. It's void. It's just like the way the snow and the rain waters the earth for seed and to make bread. 
And, and he makes an incredible promise basically at the end. He says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine trees. In other words, instead of a desert, there'll be a forest. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. And the way that was kicked off was through Jesus suffering and dying. And Isaiah, in looking at who Jesus is out in the future from his time frame, the Jesus we know through scripture, that completely changed the world. The counterintuitive thing, the thing that didn't make any sense to the world around him, is exactly what was necessary. So when we look at this invitation, this invitation that Isaiah gives to us to come to the table, you who are thirsty, you who are desperate, you who have been spending your time and spending your money and spending your labors on things that don't satisfy, come to the table, pull up a chair, Eat with the God of the universe. Learn from him. Learn from his people that are around the table with you. And what will happen? Your soul will live. This is an invitation to the absolute abundant life in Christ. And Isaiah is making it clear that that abundant life in Christ doesn't fit our preconceived ideas of what it should be. It's rooted in these other things. It's turning our world upside down for the good. And the only reason that we're invited to a table, the reason you invite anybody to your home to eat, the reason you ask somebody to lunch, the reason you go on a picnic is what? Is relationship. I like you. I love you. Come eat with me. And so we ask ourselves, what is this relationship we're invited to? And if we look at all this language and we look what has taken place in the whole book of Isaiah, and then we continue and look through the New Testament, we learn that being in a relationship with God, his goal in that is that we would more and more be transformed to the likeness of Jesus. That we would more and more understand and live the character of God. That's purpose. That's our call. That's why we're invited to the table. I love this passage of scripture. It's incredibly challenging. How often do I walk by the table and just say, well, I'll just grab something. It's kind of like a buffet, not a sit down meal. I'm going to grab something and go. Isaiah is saying, that's not the way it works. This is a come by Eat, listen, hear, turn from that and come here. Bring other people. That's the invitation. It's glorious. It's amazing. This passage of scripture should make us jump up and down. That the God of the universe cares enough for us that he is going to do something that doesn't make sense to bring us into this relationship with him that is beyond our comprehension that is greater than anything we could ever create on our own, that brings life abundantly now and life to the full for eternity. Amazing. Come all who are thirsty, come to the table, come buy and eat. Don't spend your time, don't spend your labor on things that won't last, that won't satisfy, but come to me in desperation and your
your soul will be satisfied and your soul will live. Your very essence will live. Who you are as a whole person in Christ will live. And you're going to more and more be molded into the image of Jesus. It's amazing. I'm just a, a little guy standing on this stage in the middle of Colorado. You're just sitting in a chair listening to this little guy on a little stage in Colorado, and yet God knows you by name. and says, come to this table and live and love and relate and be transformed in the image of my son Jesus more and more and more until one day it's all brought to right. What a passage, what a, what a call, what an invitation. Don't let the invitation slip by. Don't say, I can do that later. For all of us, no matter where we are in our journey with Christ, whether this is the first time you're saying, yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool table, I, maybe I should do that, or whether you've spent decades learning more and more about Jesus, it's an invitation to all of us. Come to the table, stay at the table, linger at the table, bring other people. So today is the day for all of us to respond to that invitation. You may just pray on your own and say, God, I, I need to be at that table. I desperately need you. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Things don't satisfy. I need you. And others say, I, I've been so used to who you are that I'm, I'm, I'm okay with a little sip. Come and eat. Come and drink. Come engage. Come be changed. Come be transformed.